welcome to Stories in the Cemetery. I'm Nicholas McGurr, author of Paranormal Fiction and owner of Stories in the Cemetery, an interactive ghost hunting experience in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. Hey y'all, I'm Amy Smart, a paranormal investigator for the South Carolina Paranormal Research and Investigation Team. Together, we're bringing you real paranormal investigations and methods used during these investigations. We'll cover topics like spirit boxes, different types of cameras, EVPs, and we'll also cover what you can expect from different types of locations. These methods and tools talked about here on the podcast have been tested at various locations that Amy and I have investigated, and we look forward to sharing them with you. To learn more about our investigations, make sure to follow the blog post for each episode at storiesinthecemetery.com and see the results of these investigations for yourself. Let's get into today's story in the cemetery. Hey guys, welcome to episode 42. We are going to be discussing quite a few things uh, with this particular episode, but I know it's been a few months since we've actually had an episode, so I wanted to kind of cover a few things first. Uh, First and foremost, uh, co-ghost, yes, we're going to call her co-ghost, Amy, uh, and (laughs) the term co-ghost kind of came up accidentally through a um, social media post, and we're going to stick to it. So Amy um, is going through some family issues right now. Uh, This will be a solo episode with just me, and we're going to be discussing, it's kind of a combination of, you know, one of our ghost hunting 101 plus a location you know, type episodes. We're kind of combining this into one big long episode just because, you know, Amy is going through, you know, some family things right now. And, uh, you know, we've all been thinking about her over here at headquarters and hopefully you are too, because we want to get her back on the mic as soon as possible. Second, um, apologies again for not having an episode for quite a few months. There's been quite a few health issues Uh, between uh, my family and Amy's family that have come up and have kind of interrupted, you know, normal operations for the podcast. And what I will tell you is that the interactive ghost hunting experiences have definitely kept me busy, Uh, obviously through peak season of tourist season and people traveling again and all of that stuff. But all episodes going forward will be commercial free. So if you missed our announcement that I posted a few weeks ago, Amy and I have decided that the commercialization and monetizing the podcast just wasn't um, worth some of the, I guess, income that we were getting in there for any kind of commercialization on the podcast. And Amy and I, you know, we both listen to a lot of other podcasts. And one of the things that we realize that is kind of, I guess, bugs us, it's, it's an annoyance to us to have all of those ads and commercials and all of those extra things that you'll find inside of other podcasts and, you know, nothing against your other favorite podcast folks, but it's just not something that we feel we're going to need to do to continue doing the stories in a cemetery podcast. So all, you know, episodes moving forward will be completely commercial free. There might be a little slight talk about, you know, availability of tickets and seasons coming up for, you know, the interactive ghost hunting experiences, but um, always struggling to try to find paranormal related ads that would actually work inside of our podcast isn't always lucrative. So enjoy the commercial free podcast from here going forward. I may even go back and take out those, you know, commercials that were in previous episodes. So if you missed some of those episodes, 
Um, you can go back and re-listen. Sometimes we revert back to them because it's a different study of what we're working on. So with that, I kind of wanted to thank you know a few people just because we happened to notice that there were some sponsorships that were slipping through when I set up these Stories in the Cemetery podcast a few years ago. I guess I didn't realize I clicked on the button for you, the listener, to become a sponsor for the podcast itself. And since I've been so busy and more and more listeners have come into the cemetery headquarters listening in, uh, some of you have voluntarily signed up for you know, becoming a sponsor for the show, and it's greatly appreciated. So I just wanted to thank Tina, Mike, and Sarah. Those are the few folks that have uh, slipped in there and you know, have put out sponsorships for the show. It's greatly appreciated. It helps keep our equipment maintained. And of course, Amy and I, even though you know, we're going through some um, you know, family health issues right now, we still converse quite a bit. And you know, obviously, we're talking about traveling to a couple of locations. You know, those sponsorships will help to help us continue studying the paranormal so we can basically give it back to you guys. A few other notes. I would tell you that the Stories in a Cemetery website has been completely reorganized. And when I say it's been completely reorganized, um, basically the blog posts that we post for every single podcast episode, uh, we've separated them um, in between our Ghost Hunting 101 topics um, and, you know, obviously the, the locations that were discussed in previous episodes, they are now separated by state. So that way you can just kind of scroll through and see which states we've been to and where we've been inside of those states. Um, so check out the website and make sure, you know, there's a lot of extra things that we put in there at this point. Um, trying to, you know, keep it very organized with the interactive ghost hunting experiences and all of the data going to the website. Uh, it, it's become quite the large site because everything stays on the website for an entire year. We've also added a Meet the Team page where you can learn more about me, Amy, uh, the consultants, and a lot of you have been asking about, you know, a good psychic. Um, to work with or talk to and we've added psychic medium Carl Ray Uh, he was the original psychic in the first few episodes of the podcast so if you've been a fan for you know any amount of time we've added his contact info um, to the uh, meet the team page so you can definitely find him on there and I'm sure he'll appreciate you jumping onto his Facebook lives we got some new merch coming soon. Uh, April's designing some shirts specifically for those that have been on the interactive ghost hunting experience, and they will read, I went ghost hunting in Charleston, South Carolina. So uh, not only will it have the uh, badass logo that you know April created for, obviously, the podcast and the interactive ghost hunting experience, but it'll have a cool little saying on the back that said, I went ghost hunting. So with that, guys, let's take a one little transition, and let's get into today's topic. So today's topic is going to be about the stone tape theory, and then we'll take a little transition break like what we just did with the little cool little drums there, and I will go into a specific location. And of course, you'll recognize that location, especially if you've been on the interactive ghost hunting experiences. The stone tape theory is very simple yet very complex, and this has taken weeks to put together. So again, as I've been working on this, deepest apologies. I planned to have this out weeks ago, uh, but this took me down a rabbit hole, which I'm sure you all will appreciate as we kind of start going through this. The stone tape theory 
can be very vague due to the lack of study from it, uh, but it's also very complex, like I mentioned. I'm not going to pretend that I've studied this for years and years and years. There's no point in it, and this particular theory does need years and years and possibly decades of more study uh, to be able to fully understand it. The hopes here are that someone smarter than me um, about geological properties will come along one day and, and have a discussion with me more about the different types of stone that claim to have any kind of paranormal activity that can be attached to them. But all of that will make much more sense as we kind of dive in. But first, there are a few relative terms that need to be mentioned and possibly a little bit of an explanation before we can fully understand the stone tape theory's definition. The first term is place memory. This is the ability of a place to retain the echoes of events that occurred in that specific place. Retaining these echoes can theoretically happen within the natural elements of the place. Uh, and I'm, when I say natural elements, I'm talking like the stone, the rock, the bricks, uh, the things that make up the place. Now, granted, there are other things that make up a place, but most of those are going to be man-made objects of some sort. I want to also point out that the wood of a building can also be the natural elements for that place. The other term that needs to be a little bit more, I guess, uh, resounded upon uh, is residual hauntings. Now, we did discuss this in the Types of Haunting episode in episode 41, uh, but to recap, this is a haunting that plays the events of a location over on a loop, allowing that event to be revived through our scientific paranormal devices or any kind of recording device. When you put these two terms together, they can define a little bit more of the stone tape theory. And with that, let's kind of get into the stone tape theory. Since the 19th century, people have been studying different variations of place memory. It's a realm of emotions, spoken words, or raised emotion outside the living senses of what we actually have. It sounds a little far-fetched, but all of these theories that we talk about in the paranormal world are a little far-fetched to begin with. It's how we learn, it's how we grow to understand, and how we explore what is currently outstretched beyond our belief. First thing we need to talk about are the types of stones that are said to have paranormal activity attached to them, and they need to be named. The first one being quartz, then magnetite, and of course, you've probably already heard of limestone. Quartz, when it cut a specific way, is said to generate an electrical charge. This is pretty exciting for us paranormal enthusiasts based on the generic term of energy that is often thrown around, especially on TV shows and other podcasts. Like me personally, I'm not a fan of the term energy, but let's face it, any kind of electrical charge is exactly that. It's energy. Magnetite. This one is pretty exciting because we all use EMF meters in the field. If you've watched any kind of paranormal TV show, um, you've seen the K2 paranormal EMF meters out there. And of course, these things are meant to, you know, measure any type of you know, electricity. So think of any kind of wiring in your house, think of parking meters on the street, uh, cell phones giving off signals, you know, anything like that. What I like to think of, uh, obviously what they would be able to measure is any kind of, you know, magnetism in, say, the Bermuda Triangle. Compasses are obviously run by magnetism. 
So obviously if I say the Bermuda Triangle, you're already thinking of a compass spinning around, you know, crazily. Limestone. This one is especially interesting to me because it is thrown around so often and it is very common when explaining any kind of paranormal activity. But looking at it as far as on a, on a compound level of what this stone is actually made of, it doesn't have any properties scientifically that say why paranormal occurrences happen when this stone is around. Um, it's unexplainable, uh, at least based on what we actually know of limestone. And when I've been diving into this whole stone tape theory, you know, my first thought was maybe there's some EMF that we can measure from these specific stones. And as we kind of get later into the episode, you're going to realize I've been measuring um, certain types of stone to see if it actually holds any kind of electrical charge. Let's dive into this place memory that I mentioned earlier. This is the idea that raised emotions of a location can be recorded by natural elements, like I mentioned earlier, stones, rocks, um, wood, um, anything natural of the earth. You might be thinking about other things that can actually hang on to, you know, memories. You know, we've all seen horror movies, Annabelle, dolls, especially just because I think dolls creep people out. Pe creep people out. That's why we, you know, particularly think of them with horror movies and the like. But for this study with the stone tape theory, we're we're dealing strictly with natural elements of rock, stone, wood, anything natural from the earth. The memory being recorded into the natural element um, is then said to replay over and over again as if it's kind of like on a movie loop and you're just kind of catching the end of that movie or that part of the movie when you're, you know, gathering your recording. Uh, the replay is then able to be accessed uh, through that of electronic devices like what we use in the paranormal field, uh, video cameras, uh, EVP recordings, um, you know, anything that's going to record something that's not just a picture. Residual hauntings, to kind of recap again from our episode 41, um, it's often associated with the stone tape theory, and, and, and it's for a good reason. The technical definition of a residual haunting is the replay of a specific event in time that has been absorbed by the space. The space can be of a multiple multitude of materials, including man-made objects, like a piece of furniture, uh, natural elements like what we made up, um, you know, we talked about earlier, um, and, and things like that. It's theorized that residual hauntings and place memory are tied to the stone tape theory, giving us a reality uh, that we can actually see and hear, leaving imprints of raised emotion. And when I talked about raised emotion, we kind of touched on this between uh, Amy and myself on the last episode where um, it could be a happy memory. Not everything has to be dark when it comes to the paranormal. I think the paranormal really... You know, for at least me, I can't speak for, you know, Coco's Amy, but it, it's, it doesn't have to be a scary thing. And that's the whole point. It's just something we don't fully understand. But with, you know, the, the residual hauntings, sometimes the things that are imprinted just leave more questions than answers, which leaves us really, really curious as to what's going on. The scientific equipment that we use, uh, it has to be evolved. We have to keep going with, you know, what we're able to understand, what we're able to measure. Um, obviously, cold areas and video cameras and different types of lighting. Um, it's fantastic, but it still hasn't given us that full comprehension of things like the stone tape theory. I want to also point out that 
residual hauntings often play at specific intervals in time, um, like the same time of day, the same time of the month, or the same time of the year. Um, the best example I can give of this is think of a, a bride who may have passed away on her wedding day and she only haunts a space on her anniversary. So that's probably the best explanation I can give of that when you're looking at specific intervals of time. What's interesting about this is that as investigators, we don't often revisit a place, you know, at those specific intervals. So it can be difficult to be able to replay this and find where the pattern is. When we're investigating any type of space, it is a matter of going through the data and looking at the research as a whole. Where are the patterns? What has happened? Where were the spikes? What times a day? Was it not just a specific area, but where at in time did this happen? I normally say if you can find any kind of space where you're gonna get any kind of activity at all, revisit the space, look for the patterns. I think this is one of the benefits I have of revisiting the same spaces over and over and over again, night after night after night, and seeing where patterns actually lie. I've tried to line things up with moon phases. I've tried to line things up with time of day. It's mainly time of year and time of month are the things that I find that are most in a rhythmic form. I find all of these things interesting just because I actually get the opportunity to do this on a regular basis. So I have the opportunity to dive into this stone tape theory even further. I've only found one location where it actually might be happening. And it is on my tour, my you know, interactive ghost hunting experiences, and I'm, I'm hoping one day um, you get to actually kind of see this uh, for, for yourself. But that location is Lodge Alley, and that's in downtown Charleston. So, Lodge Alley. Lodge Alley is in the middle of downtown Charleston, and it is part of the interactive ghost hunting experiences. So let's get into a little bit of the history of this location, and maybe some of this will start to make sense for you. The alley dates back to at least 1739. Uh, this was used as a passageway to get to the wharves on the outer edge of the Charleston Peninsula. The alley was originally named Simmons Alley, and it changed to Lodge Alley when the Freemasons built one of their first Masonic lodges in this location in 1773. What I found through some of the research that I was going through that after the Freemasons built their lodge here, residents of Charleston had homes in this alley. Using the full roster of names of those that once resided here, I started to see a pattern. The names Benjamin and John began to show themselves about every six to seven weeks during the interactive ghost hunting experiences. Now I wanna stop here for a second because I wanna tell you that if you've never taken one of my tours slash ghost hunting <laughs> extravaganzas that I kind of withhold information on purpose. I want everybody to have a genuine experience. And of course, with that said, I never tell these folks what they're listening for on their way to Lodge Alley or while we're inside the alley. I kind of wait to see what they're going to hear on their own. So if you've taken this, you know, extravaganza with me, I hate to use the word extravaganza so often, experiences, you, you'll know that I do withhold information purposely. The names Benjamin and John were showing themselves every six to seven weeks. 
and I started to see a pattern. I want to also point out that there were four different Johns that lived in Lodge Alley during like a 60 year time span. The name Johnson would also show itself to us through many different types of spirit boxes. Here's what I found from that roster of names of Lodge Alley. In 1801, there lived a Benjamin Hopkins and a John Johnson in the alley. Of course, it would have been a street then. Every once in a while, we were getting a different name, the name Jane, that uh, would come through on a spirit box as well. Now, I know plain Jane is, is some somewhat of a common phrase, but Jane isn't always a name you would hear, either through a spirit box or even part of the radio sweeps that we use as part of the methods of the interactive ghost hunting experiences. But Jane is a third name from the roster of names from the year 1801, the same as Benjamin and John Johnson. Her name was Jane Modern, if I'm pronouncing that properly. I'd also like to point out that during this roster of names, it's not like there's a full 50 to 100 people that live down this alley at any one given time. Through most of the list, you'll find that there's only about two to five people listed on that roster of names for one specific year. Jane, Benjamin, and John Johnson are three out of five names of people that lived in Lodge Alley in 1801. What I'll also tell you, just for the sake of you skeptics out there and anybody doubting any of this research, that I have nothing else on 1801. There, there's no significant happening that I could find. There's nothing significant about Benjamin or John or Jane. I have nothing other than the fact that it's the same three names coming out of the mouths of my guests before I tell them the names that I commonly hear. I decided that I was going to dive into this a little bit further. The past few weeks, possibly months at this point, I've been having my guests place a millimeter directly on the bricks of the alley. The results have been inconsistent, to say the least. Some nights there's absolutely nothing, maybe a 0.8 milligauss. But some nights we see anywhere between a 2 to a 4. Other nights we see between a 5 and a 9. And other nights we've seen 11 to 15. And it's inconsistent from brick to brick. The Belgian blocks that make up this alley are made of granite. At least what we're assuming. Scientifically, there's no reason why the bricks should have any EMF spikes to them whatsoever. If you look at the stone granite, it does not show any electrical charge properties of any type whatsoever. It cannot be denied that granite is a natural stone, and they've been laid inside the alley since at least 1739, which means they've been there 300 years, nearly 300 years. They've been there a very long time. In other words, this is what has pretty much brought me to the stone tape theory, was these specific bricks laid inside of Lodge Alley. There's more. Let's get into it. ghost hunting experience I want to kind of kind of bring to light a few things first thing is that with all the different types of spirit boxes that we use 
uh, one of the ones that I love to use, um, and you've heard me mention this before in the past, was the app Ghost Hunting Tools. I know an app is meant cheesy games, hoax, whatever you want to call them as far as, you know, when it comes down to ghost hunting. But one of the reasons why I love using this is because they just did a major upgrade to the app. It's basically, for those of you that are really familiar with ghost hunting equipment, this kind of replaces an ovulus that you would normally see on the uh, television shows and that kind of thing. The app's dictionary just went from like eight or 9,000 terms all the way to 36,000 terms, kind of giving us 18 times the amount of terms and phrases that you would find in its original form. What I'll also tell you is that an ovulus, like the one you see on TV, digital dowsing, so to speak, has about 2,048 terms in it. The funny thing about all of this is that I've been searching for an, an ovulus for a very long time, and when you find them, they're very expensive. People don't want to let them go. They don't make, you know, the Ovilus 3 anymore. I want to say they're even up to an Ovilus 5. I can't remember the exact model that they're on. But the Ovilus that I know of has 2,048 terms in it. And we all fight for them. We're all searching for one. But using this app, basically the same type of mentality of just a digital dictionary for our caspers to basically pull a word or a phrase from is giving us was that uh, 18 times the amount of a normal ovulus that's crazy to me however this app never fails to surprise me when especially when I'm on the the experiences with you know my guest downtown Charleston but a term showed up that I've never seen before, nor did I even know what it is. I had to do some research, and I'm probably not even going to be pronouncing this properly. The term that showed up was cesium. So that's C-E-S-I-U-M. And of course, it's in the middle of Lodge Alley, and I have no idea what this thing means. And I decided I'm going to obviously look it up when I'm going through the data for my folks the next morning. Without being too nerdy, too techy, too, too scientific for basic ghost hunters out there, I'll keep it simple. Cesium is a metal that is used in cell phones and GPS units. Plain and simple. Uh, it's considered the most electropositive metal on the earth, which means should hold some kind of EMF, if you really put two and two together here, where granite that I've already been measuring inside of Lodge Alley should not have any kind of EMF to it whatsoever. You know, even like the other metals, stones that I brought up earlier, the quartz, the magnetite, and of course limestone. This brought a lot of curiosity to me as far as the granite and this term cesium. Now where I got the names from that I mentioned earlier of Benjamin, John, and Jane came from an archaeological dig report of Lodge Alley back in 1983. Being an archaeological dig report, it has a lot of the, obviously the artifacts that were found, but it also mentions any kind of composite material, stones, and anything else you would expect to find in an archaeological dig report. 
I found that cesium was not in this report. However, I did find when researching granite and cesium together was that cesium can be found in granite deposits around the earth. I'm sure you could see where this would raise my curiosity for sure. Now, I'm not going to start taking bricks <laughs> or cobblestone uh, out of Lodge Alley to be able to test this. I'm not that type of researcher where I'm going to steal artifacts from a historical city that's just ludicrous and absurd. However, if anyone out there listening is some type of archaeological expert in the field of cesium and or granite, I would love to hear from you to try to put some of this together and maybe piece it together and of course attach it to the stone tape theory. It would make complete sense is that if cesium is part of the Belgian blocks that makes up Lodge Alley, that there would be EMF spikes in the alley, which I normally don't see unless we place a millimeter directly on one of the bricks. I would love to think it possible, as would any thorough paranormal investigator, that the term discovered on the app from this investigation leaves more questions than answers. There is a lot at stake here. The proof of the stone tape theory, the truth behind what the Belgian blocks are actually made out of inside of Lodge Alley, and I'm sure thousands of other locations for that matter. I'm still baffled by the term cesium that I've never seen again nor heard again on any other spirit box while in the alley other than that June 14th investigation. The stone tape theory continues to be a very big mystery. I'm going to continue testing different millimeter readings. Thus far, the highest being, I think it was 15.9 uh, just over a week ago. And the names that keep popping up in the loop of the six to seven weeks of the other spirit boxes used on my tours. The question still remains as if we're dealing with a residual haunting or if there was an actual emotional event that caused all of these spikes and mystery. My hope here is not to completely solve the entire stone tape theory. Like, let's face it, this is a 30-minute episode of taking a, a quick glance at some of the things that have been found while inside Lodge Alley numerous times, hundreds at this point, since I've been investigating this location pretty much for three years, night after night after night. The hope here is that if you have a fuller understanding than what we can actually display here on the podcast episode of merely 30 minutes, especially without Coco's Amy, give us your input. We'd love to hear it. You can always email us at storiesinacemetery at gmail.com. You can reach out to us through the Stories in a Cemetery Facebook page. But of course, we always urge for you to reach out to us. I want to thank everybody for listening in and waiting ever so patiently for this episode. Again, we are working through some family issues with the uh, team members of Stories in a Cemetery. And we cannot thank you enough for continuing in to listen, for being curious, and for hopefully having better answers than us. Please reach out to us in the you know aforementioned types. That would be email, Facebook, any type of social media you can find us on. We can't wait to have Amy back in the Stories in a Cemetery headquarters, so that way she and I can discuss more locations 
and have much longer episodes for you all in the future. And of course, I hope you enjoyed this first, very first, commercial-free episode and will consider becoming a sponsor for the show. Again, thanking those folks at the beginning of the show. Those are people that have kind of slipped through without us really knowing. Every dollar counts in keeping us moving, curious, and exploring more for you. So again, this has been Stories in a Cemetery. My name is Nicholas McGurr, and you can always check out the full blog post for the episode at storiesinthecemetery.com. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Thanks for listening to today's Story in the Cemetery. We'll be back soon to talk about another investigation and the tools we use to conduct that investigation. To see all the evidence of our investigations, visit storiesinthecemetery.com and see the paranormal proof for yourself. If you'd like to take a ghost hunting walking tour with me in downtown Charleston, just visit the same website, storiesinthecemetery.com, and click on the Let's Go Ghost Hunting to learn more. Bye, y'all.